to another episode of Titty Tattles. I hope you enjoyed our last episode, and this time we wanted to give you a sort of special seasonal episode since it's coming up to Lunar New Year, and、uh, talk a bit about the different sort of traditions that we experience in in Asia and in the West since we've lived in a lot of different places. And yeah, should we call it Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year? Well, I understand that this is a controversy, but from where I come from, I think we actually tend to say Lunar New Year instead of Chinese New Year, even if we're trying to explain it in Mandarin.、Um, when we when people are confused with which New Year, like is it December thirty first to January first that New Year, or is it the other New Year that people used to call Chinese New Year? We don't say Zhongguo Chinese New Year. We say Nongli Lunar New Year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, in China, we we call it Spring Festival more. Ooh, so festive. Maybe that would be the better one because it it doesn't have a country in there, so it takes out the controversy. That But is true. Do you guys not call it Spring Festival? No. Now that you pointed out, I feel like Spring Festival might be a much more appropriate term and more likable because it, it feels like nymphs are dancing naked in the forest, and I just prefer that over <laughs> over whatever is politically correct. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, actually, it doesn't happen in a very spring sort of time. Yes, it's freezing during Lunar New Year. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually freezing. I remember when I visited China, like I think maybe two or three times for Lunar New Year, and then it was always my favorite holiday because it was cold enough for me to finally wear all those like heavy, pretty jackets that I invested so much money but never got a chance to wear. And then I think in China they generally. I think they take Lunar New Year a lot more seriously.、Uh, maybe、Than、because Taiwan. I,、uh, in terms of what's shown on the outside, yeah, in Taiwan, I mean, yeah, you follow tradition. There are rituals and that are both religious and just because of habit that you follow. But in China, there is much more red, much more people,、uh, much、so、more firecrackers. I know, and in Taiwan, we passed a law like I guess like ten years ago or something, where you were not really allowed to light firecrackers on the street.、Uh, yeah, to, to protect the environment. Yeah, and then but the first time I went to China, I think yeah, it was probably eighteen. Oh yeah, it was definitely ten years ago. <laughs> I was eighteen or seventeen or something. Definitely ten years ago.、Um, yeah, and I remember just seeing like just not only were there firecrackers, like. Popping throughout the night, not popping, roaring throughout the night. The next day, the streets were piled in red ashes, and it was just—it was like seeing snow, but red, but not bloody red. It wasn't gory; it was festive. <laughs> yeah, it kind—it of, really feeds into the festive vibe of Chinese New Year. Though, what I don't like about Chinese firecrackers, as opposed to like the fireworks they set off for、um, regular New Year, is that it's just loud rather than colorful. Yeah, but you're supposed to stay up all night, so it doesn't matter if it's loud. But it's kind <laughs> of painful to listen to, and it always freaks out the dog. My memory of every Chinese New Year when they start setting out the fireworks is my grandma is like, "Don't go there. You're very small. Let your cousin do the setting it on." Fire! You stay here and pet the dog. <laughs> and the dog was like going bonkers because. <laughs> yeah, because the dog the was like, "What is going on? Are we in a war zone?" <laughs> you would think that after many years living in China, the dog would realize that it's no big deal. They do this every year, just once, just chill. <laughs> But does the dog have a memory that goes back to the last year? It's not a fish. It's a dog. Yeah, the- but I I didn't have the smartest of dogs. 
I've been watching some of these videos of border collies who are like literally as smart as eight-year-olds and my dog, I think. <laughs> what kind of dog to, was that? <laughs> you know, just a general mutt dog. Oh, general mutt dog. I guess I got the wrong batch <laughs> of genes. <laughs> I don't know if it's general mutt of mommy and daddy. <laughs> okay, so ooh, I, I think I banged into something. I can't be drunk already. It's only it's only eleven. Wait, what time is what it right are now you in having? Taipei? I'm having whiskey and coke because I was having McDonald's and you you said you said we should start recording. The, so the classic know. McDonald's drink, whiskey and coke, of course. <laughs> yes, it's very convenient when you live right next to McDonald's. Okay, so Lunar New Year. <laughs> All right, so Phoebe, let's start with something. Um, let's start with something personal because I feel like. The list of traditions that go on for Lunar New Year can not only be found on Google, but they also differ um, between which between countries that, although okay. come from the same roots, they celebrate in different ways. So I was thinking we could start with something personal. And I don't know, just tell me something about how Lunar New Year was for you when you grew up. Um, so it, it would divide into two periods. I, I lived in the UK for a while mm -hmm. as a kid. So um, we had Lunar New Year then. And then after I moved back to China, it was Lunar New Year in China. Which part should I start with? I think I want to hear the London part first, and then I want to hear how that changed for you when you went back to China. Oh, actually, I didn't. I didn't live in London uh, when when I was a kid. Oh, okay. And people keep assuming that it's London, especially Americans. They think that London is interchangeable with the UK. Well, But I'm sorry because you have such a nice accent. I just assumed it wasn't from anywhere. But London. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you sound like you're up north. <laughs> I did actually when I lived here I had a proper Yorkshire accent that I don't have anymore hmm. <laughs> yeah what what did we do here I, I think when I was a kid here I, I was pretty excited about um, Lunar New Year but it wasn't as big a deal as Christmas because you don't get a holiday mm. here for Lunar New Year I think mm. when I was here I I enjoyed Christmas more because yeah. When it's Christmas, you get presents and you can actually keep them. But when it's Lunar New Year, I get money and then my mom takes my money. <laughs> Wait, so you still, where did you get the red pockets from? I mean, I thought it was just your family that, that. Well, yeah. So my mom, my, my mom gave me the money and then she was like, I am giving you this money, but actually I'm not because I'm going to take it away now. So it was just a gesture, like a formality. Yeah. I don't think I was allowed to spend my pocket money either. I, I had a little pocket money can that had about 20 pounds in it in coins. But it was, you know, I could play with it, but I didn't actually have authority to spend it. One time I found a pound on the street with my friend. And I was so excited. I was like, a whole pound that I can spend to myself and buy so many crisps with that. You sound like Oliver Twist, interestingly. <laughs> I felt like all of my friends a pound. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to follow up your experience in China, didn't you guys have like a Chinese community there to support like these types of holidays? Not really. I when my family lived here, it was too early, and because it wasn't in London, there weren't a lot of Chinese people around me. I think in my primary school, I was the only Chinese person there, or maybe there was another one person. So. He seemed uncool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about internalized racism. Okay, sorry, please go on. <laughs> well, the first time I saw him, he was kind of trying to shovel food into his mouth with his fork, like kind of unpleasantly. And, you know, there's like a chain of 
looking down on people when you're a kid. And I was like, he's clearly less cool than me. I wouldn't hang out with him. <laughs> wow. Because when I spent um, Chinese New Year abroad, it was um, twice during um, stu- studying like on an exchange program in America. And it was both in Wisconsin, just different places in Wisconsin. And there was enough Asian people, not enough Taiwanese people, but enough Asian people the first time. So I spent Lunar New Year with a mixture of Malaysian, Chinese, and Indonesian kids. And we all just went to like um, a Sichuan restaurant and had New Year's Eve dinner. And then the second time, it was with the Taiwanese Student Association at UW-Madison. And it was a huge party. I karaoke. That like, sounds I went- nice. Yeah, I joined a karaoke contest. I dressed in full red. I've never been festive about my clothes during Lunar New York, but I bought this huge, like, laced, embroidered, red, like, onesie, cute type of jumpsuit or thing. I'm not sure how you call this. And, yeah, I went full on Chinese, uh, sorry, uh, Lunar New Year. <laughs> it's so much more fun spending the holiday, like, with your friends when you're in your student days than to spend it with your family. I like when when I'm actually just going to spend it with my family when when I was in high school I'd be like eh not really into the spirit festivals mm-hmm. aren't cool but in in my university days especially if we were actually overseas we would get really into it mm. so you know when you think about lunar new year it, it because of the color scheme it's so vivacious Right. And it's so bright. And it, it sounds like because of the noise and the sound and the commotion that comes with the holiday, you would think that it's a very jolly holiday. Um, but I do recall men, in, during many of our conversations when we talked about spending Chinese New Year at home, we kind of struggled. And it's not like because we didn't understand the culture, but there were a lot of things that happened that made it kind of eh for us in, in the same way it is for anyone who's spending time with relatives, but also because of other things. Family can be hard. <laughs> Yeah, so I would. I was wondering if you could talk about some of your experiences when you moved back from England um, to do Chinese New Year, because I feel like for someone who grew up here, it must have been a very like it must have been one type of experience, right? Um, but for people like us, where we're kind of in the middle of a third culture situation, and for you specifically, because you moved back from England, how was Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year like? For you, I mean, did you enjoy it? Was it better or worse? Was it easy to understand the concept of Lunar New Year when you moved back at first? Whichever one you would like to start with. Yeah, so first let let me describe what happens at Lunar New Year in China, (laughs) at least in in my family usually. So um, we have a family gathering. Like, I don't have a huge family. My my dad has some brothers and uh, my mom's family lives in a different city. So we don't usually get together. So it's like a group of maybe eight or ten, which I think is a good amount for a family gathering. If it got any bigger than that, there would be people that you don't know and it gets awkward. And it's awkward enough with the people that I do know. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we usually get together at my grandma's house and we eat a big meal. My grandma makes xiaozi. And that was the part that I quite liked. It, it was very kind of homely to all sit around the table and make jiaozi together. Did you guys do that in your family? Like just sit around the table? Not until recently. I'm not sure if it was ever for Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year. Because I, whenever we're doing dumplings, jiaozi, um, it's my mom tells my dad, you make good dumplings. Let's do some over you do the weekend. It. Well, she doesn't explicitly say that out loud. <laughs> she just, whenever my dad prepares everything, she ends up watching TV and then snacking 
throughout <laughs> the whole time where everybody's like putting in like all the labor and then by the time it's done she's like mm, this tastes good <laughs> and my dad's like what if you wanted me to I, do I really like the it. fact that it's a group activity for Chinese New yeah. Year like everyone has their part in in kind of the line of business I think my grandma was in charge of like making the dough what do you call Ooh. when you push the dough until it's a nice dough Needed. and uh I was in I was in charge of rolling it out uh-huh. I think at first I, I was in charge of putting um the dumpling together after you uh-huh. put the filling in but I made mm-hmm. them look really ugly so I was demoted to rolling it <laughs> you got demoted oh god uh, yeah I, th- I think for me it was like I've done making dumplings with the family, but it was never because of the holidays. And now that I think about it, I feel like making, um, I think making dumplings comes from specific regions of China. So it's not like where you end up, like, for example, my my ancestors at some point probably immigrated from China to Taiwan. I think it's Do where they came from. you know what region from? your ancestors were from? The south, uh, the Hokkien, Fujian region. Oh, Okay. So I don't think they had that culture because we've never done that. Not even as a bigger family, we've never done that. Um, so I never, I was never cultured or trained to properly make dumplings. I mean, um, I always end up just filling in everything. And then like you, my filling is, my filling technique is a disaster. And my dad's like, I, I don't know what you're making, but he doesn't demote me. He just lets me do whatever. My rolling um, technique isn't great either. They don't come out <laughs> round, but somehow my mom can make them <laughs> into dumplings that look okay yeah. after that. I wish I had more training because I never knew how to make the filling properly. So I tried to do this during Friendsgiving with my Taiwanese friends. Well, actually, one of them was half American. The other one was from Hong Kong. So it wasn't the most Taiwanese combination, but we were all Asian. Okay. And we failed <laughs> tremendously. Like, <laughs> we, we failed so bad. Like, you know... We made mac and cheese. We made meatballs. We made salad. And those came out amazing. But we couldn't nail the dumplings. The one group activity we couldn't nail. And we failed as Asians. And it's that's that says a lot about how like how it wasn't even present in my culture at that. At least dumplings in my family's culture. Dumplings are much more difficult than mac and cheese, though. We made fancy mac and cheese. It had porcini in it. It had two or three different types of fancy cheese. It was nice. I'm just better at it. Well, come back to me when you've roasted a whole turkey. (laughs) I have roasted a whole turkey, and I have that story for next time because we can't digress. It is a very interesting story because I was very drunk when I roasted it. But (laughs) very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. making the jiaozi was the good part of the evening. And then we we get the big meal ready and we start eating. And my my dad and his brothers start drinking and then they start having the same old arguments again. And uh, I'll be watching the Chinese New Year national show. Do you know about that? Do you watch that when you're in China? I do when I'm in China, but not when I'm in Taiwan. And that was the best part of um, Winter New Year when I I love it. It's. It's it's entertaining in a very ironic way. It's so communisty, I right? Love, I know, I love it. It's so funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, like it got slowly worse and worse over the course yeah, of yeah, my life. <laughs> when I was a kid, I I just actually really looked forward to watching it. I was like, oh yeah, it's gonna be on. There's gonna be some funny skits. There will be Zhao Benchan. I really liked Zhao Benchan when I was a kid. I don't know who that is because I only did Chinese <laughs> three times. 
So Damn, he's not even famous anymore. That's sad. Um, <laughs> he, he, he was a really famous comedy actor when I was a kid, and he he didn't even do any long things. He was just really famous for these Chinese New Year skits. He was like totally <laughs> associated with the Chinese New Year national show, and uh, he he does these really down to earth, villagey sort of jokes about the the common people and their problems. Wow. I think what I remember because it was called Chunwan, right? Um, yeah. I, I think the first thing that intrigued me was just the scale of the production, and then yeah, I, it's supposed then, to show our power and resources as a country. And I love that all of the hosts have this very specific type. They all look the same, but you know, there's different people. I'm, I'm in not appearance like race or in voice, voice and appearance. They have that very specific accent. And very specific intonation, and they all I look. I think they've very... been trained at the same university. I think they came from the same factory. <laughs> I, mean, I can tell they're different people. I'm Asian. I know how to tell the difference between different individuals. But you can tell they're like from the same factory, and just the the unity and the coherence of the whole performance, the whole production was just mind-boggling, entertaining. Like you it's knew like it never was never one propaganda. step out of turn. I know, and it was just. Communist propaganda presented in the most flawless but I- ironically entertaining way. I-, I don't know how to put it in words. It yeah, was just fun I think to like watch. In a thousand years, it will be a really important historical relic. It's mm. probably going to be in some museum, you know, yeah. Chinese New Year National Show in 1999. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that I have relatives in China that I got those couple times to like, those few times to enjoy what Chinese New Year is or Lunar New Year is in a different country especially the country where it basically came from (laughs) yeah when I was a kid they used to be quite good but as I became a teenager and adult they started to become much more dense in the propaganda Uh at first they had a good balance of humor and propaganda and irony and then they just went straight on propaganda and then like I think there was a period where I would watch it because I needed to get how bad it was so I could go on social media and complain to everyone else. And I wanted to get the jokes about how bad it was. Mm-hmm. But I think by now it's just so bad. It's irre- irrelevant. People don't watch it anymore. Do you think it's because of like, like why, why do you think the, the program became more intense and more dry over the years based on your understanding? Well, it's very connected to the political environment in China. It's like um, a four-hour show which has to talk about every important thing that happened throughout the year in China. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reflects the tone from the top, as it were. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like how, like, the way how the internet is completely, like, seeped into our lives, right? So... I think in the beginning, even if someone was trying to make a joke about it, even if people were to critique about it, it would be in like tiny hubs in private, right? And then True. whatever the state media would publish the next day, it would it would be tailored to what the state media would want you to hear. But now that there is like online platforms and people are very much incentivized to just just create any conversation that 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 gets you like that that grabs your attention, that gets you content, that gets gets you um. Ah, oh, what's that word? It's like, Liu Liang, what is that called? Um, 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 influence? Well, anything no, that that's gra- not the word. Anything that grabs attention. Um, and so it's very dangerous for those little echo chambers to actually become 
huge echo chambers that may or may not criticize the current government. And I feel like that's why everything has to be streamlined um, to strictly government propaganda. There cannot be any nuance in there because nuance creates unnecessary conversations that the government can't afford to have within the regime. That makes sense. And also (laughs) makes sense that another reason people are not impressed by it anymore is that we have so much more choice now on what we want to spend our time on compared to the past when it was like, this is the only thing that you can watch on Chinese New Year's Eve. Exactly. Um, so spe- so th- these were the good parts of the holiday. Were there any parts where you struggled? Like, because when you watch how Thanksgiving and Christmas goes for people in the West, there are memes, there are TV shows, there are advertisements that make fun of the very act of gathering with relatives, which I think is the same with every culture. But like, how, how, was, but how was Chinese New Year different? for you when you came to struggle with the whole like relative relationship family dynamic type of situation yeah many pet hates about chinese new year though (laughs) not necessarily specific to this holiday it's just any holiday that involves a family gathering is you know my my dad and my relatives are always going to get really drunk and get into the same arguments and get really pissed off and ruin the mood and then my my grandma will pretend to be deafer than she actually is, so she doesn't have to get involved <laughs> in the argument. Why? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> my cousin and I are going to escape to the other room as soon as we can, so we can do some fun kid stuff and not listen to them argue. Mm-hmm. And one of the parts that are my least favorite part is, you know, when you're a kid at a fa- family gathering, it's like, "Hello, dancing monkey, do something." Dancing monkey. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, um, Phoebe learned the flute lately. And like, ah. play a tune, play a tune. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, Phoebe, like, speak, speak yeah. some English for us. Mm. And I'm like, you, you know when someone just says to you, speak some English, you're like, oh, what? I know. Even if I speak English now, people are like, okay, you're an English teacher. Um, can you say something in English? And I'm like, how are you? Like, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> like, the range is very huge. Do you want me to co- comment on, on, on food right now, what I had for lunch earlier, or, 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 or the social political climate right now in Taiwan? Like, <laughs> or, or do you want me to talk about shoes? Like, give me something to talk about. I can't just be put on spot like <laughs> Yeah, I, I just have that instant brain freeze when people say something like that. Like, say something in English. Put it's on like a show. If someone just came up to you and, and said, like, regardless of the language, be like, say something. And you're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same feeling if you're walking on the street and the guy is suddenly like, hey, smile, girl. No. And they don't even, they just have Why? to talk to you. And then they would ask you a question. And you'd be like, huh? I'm supposed to react right now? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think, like, do, with the thing with Asian relatives is that um, I think all relatives struggle with boundaries but asian relatives have a it, they take it to the next level they i'm gonna frame this part this is the part that's going to be <laughs> like, on the picture when we share it on instagram the, the idea of boundaries to asian adults over 40 is um they have a I different th- idea about it i think us. boundaries are just like how do I put this? I think for them, the things that you're not supposed to talk about are things that that would make them lose face. That's the only boundary. Do not make someone lose face. But 
but that but like do you um, I, I, I i'm afraid we're digressing but it's like if it's something that will like if you, if you already know something's bad then you can't talk about it like if you I heard, don't think like, it's digressing because it's a whole part of the New Year family <laughs> gathering conversation. Like how yes, do yes. you navigate that minefield? But but the thing and things that, like, that they think are okay to say are you know how much money are you making? I know because like the only thing that you can't talk about in an Asian context is just scandal. If it's scandal, they'll make an effort to avoid it. But Asians are so gossipy by nature that they will weasel their way around. You know, <laughs> talking about Voldemort or something. You know? <laughs> What? You like if if Voldemort was like a euphemism for all scandalous things that everybody knows about, you're not supposed to mention. Asian Asian relatives will weasel their way around this and try to either slide in a sly comment of what they already know about your family, or try to get you to say something about something they really want to know that's gossip. I feel like I don't have enough scandal in my family to have experience of that. That sounds very interesting. It doesn't need to be scandal. Like for example, um, my brother is the youngest person in the whole family, and oh, he's a free spirit, um, which means he doesn't always show up that much. He's not always present during family gatherings, and so people are always curious, like, oh, what, what's what's Sydney's brother doing? And then, and then I usually answer, I don't know, because I don't want to talk about it because I feel like you know. I shouldn't have to tell you where my brother is at the moment or what he's doing unless he wants to share it with you. And they will just ask, they will just give you the eye, the look, or come up, or the tone to sort of insinuate, like, you have to tell us. And if you're not telling us, that means you're hiding something. It's very obvious on their faces, especially when you have a lot of relatives at a table. They will give each other the look and perform it right in front of you to let you know <laughs> that you are withholding information that they feel like they're entitled to know. And they feel like if you're not telling them, then it must be scandal. That's so nosy. I know. Asians Why don't you so like counterattack with some really personal questions about them? I'm nice. <laughs> and I, I'm a weasel. What I do is I teach my students what to ask their relatives. Like, you know how like the, the common theme for younger kids is like they ask about your school grades um what place you are in the class like you're in terms of yes. your grades, right and then i said you should ask them about their pension <laughs> 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 or how often their son calls them every month <laughs> or how much money their son's making whether yeah. he's sending them any i know I'm like ask them that <laughs> they always look at me they're laughing but they're also confused they're like oh, are we supposed to ask these questions i'm like you can try just don't tell anyone that i told you <laughs> I mean, I think the age of your students, they could get away with it because they're like under 10, so they can pretend that they yeah, just say yeah. it innocently. Of, yeah, so, well, I, that's why I only teach the 10-year-olds because the 8-year-olds wouldn't understand that. And the 12-year-olds, they would sound too cocky, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a lot of questions. But I think with my family, the questions... Like, they come up once in a while, but what I do struggle with is um, I'm actually not that bad with handling my older relatives, my aunties and uncles, because I have the tendency to smile when I'm nervous, so that doesn't So they think you have a good attitude. Yes, I, I don't become a target. <laughs> <laughs> but but my, my cousins, um, I've always had this um, distance between my cousins, and, and this is very much related to the third culture upbringing because I was raised mm. bilingual 
And um, my mom was very open-minded in many ways, but very strict in certain ways in terms of like what type of, co- what type of content I consumed um, before the age of 10. So um, she wasn't very supportive of me watching specific reality TV game shows on on tv because of the language or the content she said that it wasn't appropriate for kids certain cartoons were banned in my house um and me being an approval junkie and barely had my rebellious period until recently (laughs) i'm not not a very rebellious kid in general senses i mean i'm snarky but that's the extent of it (laughs) um but yeah so um, I was an approval junkie. I did whatever she told me to. No candy till the age of like thirteen. I, I was that. I was that kid. What? I I followed through the no boyfriend rule strictly until college. This guy that I liked in high school told me that he liked me, and I was brave enough to say I like you too. But my mom says I can't have a boyfriend, so can you wait for another <laughs> year until we're in college? When he said no, I was heartbroken. But I. <laughs> But I also felt like the the energy I needed to deceive my mother and have a boyfriend was just too stressful because I was such an approval junkie. Some it's like you were such a good kid. Wow, yeah, it, that it, guy it, must have been thinking, no, I'll be into college chicks next year. No, and then so like I don't know the <laughs> yeah. I think being an approval junkie is a common um, illness that most Asians suffer, <laughs> especially if you're a female. But yeah, so. I follow those rules religiously. And so during Lunar New Year, where my cousins, who were like five or six years older than me, they were at the age where it was appropriate for them to watch those shows. I would say, oh, I guess I can. So I just read a novel. But because I got into reading because I was reading English novels, because I had a wider selection of books. So I was reading English. And Not very accessible would, for them to join no, in. No. And then my dad would be like, oh, the lighting's horrible in the living room area. If you want to read, you should go into Nana's room. And I went into Nana's room and that basically isolated me from the whole thing. Oh my God. I can imagine yeah. how it looks from your cousin's perspective. Know, She's so and- snobby. She comes to a family gathering and doesn't hang out with anyone. Just she goes and reads her book. English books. Oh man. She that thinks she's too good for us. Did not earn me any brownie points. So <laughs> so I grew up later and then I, I connected with one of my older cousins and she told me that this is what people thought of me at that time and people thought that I was aloof and hard to approach and I spoke a different language not because I didn't speak Mandarin but I spoke a different culture to them which was confusing for me too because that's how I grew up being perceived like half half or more westernized than Asian and that really hurt my relationships with my cousins a lot so it's really unusual the way your parents brought you up it's mm. like you're growing up in the west but you're, you're actually not you're you're there but you're in your own virtual reality which is sort of an amalgamation <laughs> of the western environment that your parents are giving you through what you're allowed to read and you know still being in the taiwanese environment it's fascinating yeah and i think because at that age, or at, I mean, era, that period of time, I don't think people understood the power of language and the cultural impact it had on a person who was still forming her own or his his own identity. And I mean, I learned later how huge an impact it had on me, but my parents didn't make that decision, so they thought I would assimilate better as a more westernized person. They simply understood, like how many parents understood at that time, that being able to um, speak English fluently was a plus, you know, to finding a job in the future. 
And my mom knew that the easiest way for me to do that without having to go through the pain of reciting grammar and vocabulary words was to immerse myself in that environment, which is why as an English teacher herself, she decided to do that, like to create that environment for me. But she was also very specific of me learning what it meant to be Taiwanese. She always reminded me like, this is your, these are your roots. You speak Chinese. I, I don't want you to just speak English. In you that know, case, like, I'm kind of surprised that at these family gathering at an important festival, they thought it was okay for you to go into another room and read English rather than take part in the festivities. I think because watching TV wasn't considered a festivity to my mom. If if yeah, we were, it's part of the group activity, right? <laughs> yes, but inappropriate content was prioritized than participating in the group. She was like, "That's not appropriate," and I was like, "Okay, mom." I need her approval, and I walk in and read, and I enjoyed reading. And I think that's when I realized that reading was a good way to escape uncomfortable situations. Because for me, the discomfort wasn't realizing that I was isolated. The discomfort was watching something that I thought was wrong. Oh, <laughs> that was like the struggle. Like, am I allowed to watch this? I'm not allowed to watch this. Oh no, what is she gonna think of me? <laughs> Reminds me of my fun days as a teenager when I saw on the website, "This website is for adults. Please tick this box to say that you're an adult." And be like, "Tick! Oh my god, the internet police is gonna know." <laughs> you were more afraid of the internet police than your Asian mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah my mom wouldn't wrong. find out. <laughs> um, but yeah, but how was it for you when you were dealing with your relatives? When, because like. I would understand if there was a cultural gap because you would just when you really started celebrating Lunar New Year like consciously it was after like it was right when you were becoming a teenager right Yeah yeah I I think it was just generally that I wasn't very close to them because I spent my childhood years abroad and yeah similar to you they they kind of saw me as different from them mm-hmm. but I feel like Um, Asian people also have this uh, friendliness towards people who have overseas experience. They're like, yes. "Oh, you're so cool! You came back from overseas." So mm-hmm. it's not like they isolated me or bullied me or anything. And I only have one cousin, so it wasn't such a <laughs> complex situation. Ah, <laughs> huh. I like that you only had one cousin. That made the relationship much simpler. You either talk to her or you don't. Yeah, there's no group yeah. mentality that allows for. Both confusion and nuance to occur at the same time. I just realized, you know, when we talked about the New Year traditions, we only got up to the end of the eve. We haven't talked about the、uh, New Year traditions on New Year's Day. So、mm. I was just wondering, what do you do in Taiwan? Do you like do the same thing? Because in China, we're like, you know, you wake up, you have to say nice things to people, and then they give you money. Is that the same? No, I got money because I was cute. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> In Taiwan, it was a very tricky situation because, when I say tricky, it's because I think we we were trying. I think most Taiwanese people like to think that they're very laid back about tradition because、um, when you think about tradition, it also associates you with a whole different cultural entity, which is you know in China. And so, being colonized by so many cultures, I feel like we're not so pedantic about. You know what types of traditions to follow, especially when the family size went from massive to nuclear. I think people were more laid back with how traditions and customs went. <clears throat> I think at that time, so I think red pocket money at that point was more of a formality for the adults 
to show that they were generous enough, that they were happy adults, kind adults. And um, and did you get to keep your money? In the beginning, no. And then my dad realized that, well, that's not nice. I should give her like a percentage of it. And a then, percentage. A percentage of it. And then... And then later on, I got to keep all of it after I think I after I think high school. Um, but he did make a point to explain to me the reality of it. He was like, "It's basically adults exchanging money." So to be fair, but, I paid but, for this. <laughs> but that's so lame. I know, but I, what, I what about the joy of a festival for a kid? Come on! I never really experienced that until very much later. I always thought, "Oh, okay, red stuff mm, smells good. Dad, it's yours." Like it was more of a none of my business situation. Like, I guess you guys are doing this. I think that's the problem with giving money to kids because when you're very small, you don't understand the concept of this piece of paper, which is probably why Christmas works better for small children. That is true, but then also it was never meant to be a gift because if you look at like traditional Chinese folklore, it was more of a way to ward off evil spirits because. Really? Yes. Oh, I, I'm a teacher. Oh, I had to do research. I didn't consider that. Yeah, because sui was not it. It wasn't as a gift. It was because sui meant like evil spirits, and it, evil spirits were afraid of red paper. And so, throughout thousands of years of civilization, it went from red paper to red paper with money. But the initial thought was not to give you a gift to make you happy. It was. To ward off evil spirits, which was I was a better equating the concept of receiving a present at Christmas and receiving a red packet of pocket money on Chinese New Year. But yeah, you're right. Uh, the intention is very different. At Christmas yeah. is here, you are rewarded for being a good child. So we're gonna give you something that you like. But in Chinese New Year, it's actually like this is uh, a very utilitarian thing that's gonna stop you from being taken by spirits it's not meant to bring you joy actually in many ways as problematic as um chinese or let's say asian family culture goes i mean it's i mean what i'm trying to say is like asian culture or asian family culture is often considered relatively toxic compared to the mainstream like western idea of how a healthy family relationship goes but if you think about how the traditions were set in the beginning I feel like the intentions from Asian culture was much more wholesome. Because if you think about Christmas, you're just manipulating a kid to behave a certain way with material goods. But for, you know, for Yasui Yasui-chi, it was like, we generally do not want evil spirits to haunt you. Therefore, this is for the greater good. It has nothing to do with if you are a good kid or not. Good kid, bad kid. And it's very connected to the high child mortality rate in the old days, right? They were really scared that their children would die, so they wanted to protect them. So, naughty or nice, you don't deserve Satan, so you're going to get money. That's true, that's true. (laughs) There's no difference between nice and naughty kids when you're getting your red pocket money. Everyone needs it. There is no higher moral manipulation type of thing going on where you're supposed to behave in a certain way to appease the elders yeah and i want to react to what you said about how uh asian culture is in asian family culture is considered more toxic in the modern day and i i think that's the case in a sense but recently i've been reading a lot of historical novels Mm -hmm. and i realized how much the culture is connected to the way we live and how our culture made sense for us in the way that we used to live in these big family units where we had several generations and lots of brothers living Mm -hmm. together and supporting each other. And that's the way that we had to survive. I'm like, 
the family had to be a team to yeah. um, defend yourself. And it just totally makes sense. Yeah, because for years, most of the Asian population lived in a very agricultural structure in terms of how family units were formed, whereas the West had a shorter span of history for that to develop and they had a different history, actually. And then they dealt with the Industrial Revolution a lot sooner than China or Asia in general. And so they were able to individualize because of in terms of how the Industrial Revolution evolved on its own. So I think it makes sense, like, um, up till today, how Asian values do kind of clash with the modern concept of how family members should interact with each other. Yeah, it's like the the West had the industrial civilization, so their culture kind of developed at a natural pace to catch up with that. And then the Industrial Revolution and the effects of that hit us in the face while we were still happily in our farming society. And mm-hmm. now we have this sort of, like there's a gap between our traditions and what we think things are. And we mm-hmm. just kind of had to accept a lot of the Western ways of doing things, which makes sense in modern society. But there's so much conflict between our parents generation and what they think the truth is and mm-hmm. you know what but makes I, sense for the way I we like, live now i like that today because more kids are exposed to different cultures and there are more people that are like us like we're not textbook textbook third culture but we're like in in between being completely asian or completely second generation um american Canadian yeah we're just something Asian. weird we're just something weird and i think that's actually helpful for adapting to a how times are changing and b appreciating and understanding where our cultural values come from um and knowing how to navigate our way better uh through these situations but i feel like that's something for another episode and i feel like there's so much to unpack there and we have been going on for chinese new year for around 40 minutes so phoebe would you like to wrap up this episode for us because i feel like we actually had a pretty cool thing going on today I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have we learned from this episode? <laughs> I um, sound like a teacher. You sound like a teacher. Um, to conclude. <laughs> My God, that sounded awful. You sound like a literature student. <laughs> um, I think what we learned is um, relatives generally are awkward to deal with. Um, it doesn't matter <laughs> which culture you're from. Um, Asians have a very peculiar perspective um, towards why people get money during... Um, Chinese New Year and it's not because we love we not it's not simply because we love money it's not all hope you get rich <laughs> it, it's it comes from a very wholesome place you know we don't want our kids to die because of evil spirits um, yeah what else we how learned? sweet um, we learned that dumplings don't occur in every Asian household and you can very much F it up if you're not trained properly <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I have, what do you think is there anything you would like to add on and we learned that fireworks are not very good for dogs no or for the environment mm-hmm. and we learned that the government actually has to regulate firework activity to some at some point just because it, it's it's animal abuse and environment and this chat has made me really nostalgic about the chinese <laughs> new year show that we oh, have in yeah. china i know god do you guys get that do you do you get cctv from in in, in london I think it. they stream it on YouTube. Like, they want people to watch it, so they make it available. I'm seriously considering making my family do that. <laughs> yeah, you should totally watch it this Chinese New Year. Just to mess with my parents and be like, let's ironically put this in the background and do whatever we want, but you know. just You should definitely try it. 
And those out there, if you're listening, give it a go. Give it a go. It's really funny. And I should call my cousin in China just to like <laughs> tune in. It's like, hey, I'm watching it too on YouTube. CCTV. Like, you can't go wrong. Either they're gonna outdo themselves this year, and it's gonna be really funny, or it's gonna be really terrible, which is really funny. Yeah. Either way, it's a win-win. <laughs> I just wanted to wrap up the episode by saying Happy Lunar New Year to everyone out there who are listening, and hope that you have a great year of the rabbit. That's right, right.